Well, tonight we are wrapping up our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if this is your first time joining us, feel free after the service to go back for the last three weeks, and now this is our fourth Sunday, we've been looking at one of, this signif- one of these most significant chapters, I think, in all of Scripture, as it really helps us see how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes so much of what it means to be a person, to be a follower of Jesus, how it changes our hope for the future, and how it changes our perspective in the present day in which we find ourselves. And so last week, we looked at the the detailed kind of look that Paul gave in talking about the resurrection body. And he starts as he finishes this section off tonight, he, he kind of concludes that thought and ends with kind of this culmination of worship and joy that the resurrection brings in our lives. And so tonight, as we look at this passage, concluding our study on the resurrection, we're going to look at three results of the resurrection. Because we do indeed serve a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Three results that are true in our hearts and in our lives if we have faith in him because he has risen from the dead. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I encourage you to open your Bible as we read together, starting tonight at verse 50. It says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, as we looked at last week, he's continuing on this theme, right, that, that this physical body we have will not be like the spiritual body that we will have at the resurrection of the dead. When he talks about flesh and blood, sometimes in the Bible, flesh is used in a negative connotation, like a a sinful world. But by combining it here with the word blood, Paul is simply talking about our physical existence here on this world. What we exist now, this flesh and blood that each of us have, will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Again, Pulling from themes that we looked at last week back in, ch- in chapter 15, verse 42, where we talked about the perishable and the imperishable. This idea that our bodies, as they are physically constructed, as we live and dwell here on the earth, these physical bodies are not fit for heaven. Verse 51, behold, this is like him saying, listen up, pay attention, all right? Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery, not like something to, to be solved, but, but a mystery in the New Testament was something that was previously unknown to us. But now, but now because of what God, what Jesus has done and has revealed, it's something that is now known. And so what, what was hidden and what's now known to us? I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, this perishable, excuse me, body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. The first result of the resurrection that we see here in this passage is transformative change transformative change will be experienced in us, in our lives, in our future because of the resurrection when we place our faith in Jesus. 
And so when he looks to this resurrection, uh, that a, a few questions come up about this amazing change that will take place. The first thing is this, how, how long does it take for this change to take place? Right? How, when we are transformed, when, when this amazing change that this passage speaks of, how long will it be? Well, it will be an instantaneous change. It will happen immediately. It says there in verse 52, in a moment, in a moment, that word moment is actually from which we get the word Adam. All right, eight, not Adam, A-D-A-M, but Adam, A-T-O-M, like that, that small physical thing. The word literally means that which is indivisible. And in, in science, it's called an atom because it was considered too small a particle to split. And so this moment is this expression of the very shortest, the very briefest time possible, something that could not be split. You could not have something shorter. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye or in the blink of an eye, an expression which is still commonplace in our language today, right? That something happens in a blink of an eye. It means it's so quick that you didn't even see any process happen, but it was one, one thing and now something is different. So this change that we will experience <clears throat> is not a gradual transformation. So at the resurrection of the dead, your corpse, if we have died, or your physical body as it looks now, if Jesus returns in this day, in this, in this hour, our, our bodies are not resurrected how they look now and then like placed in some place where, where then over a period of days or months or years, they become these bodies fit for heaven. But no, at the resurrection of the dead, it is a complete and a sudden change. So when does this amazing change take place, this transformative change? Well, it takes place at the return of Jesus Christ. It says there that we shall not all sleep. Verse 51, we shall not all sleep, a metaphor for being dead, that, that it will not be those who have fallen asleep. This is an event that will break into human history. It's not as if humanity will all cease, that everyone will die, then after every human has died, that's when Jesus will return. But no, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, believers will still be alive. We shall not all sleep, but for believers, the trumpet will sound. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. The trumpet here is signifying the, the start of the last events on earth. A trumpet and identifying with the return of Jesus was throughout scripture, a common metaphor, a common language to talk about Jesus's return. It's used in the Old Testament in Joel and Zephaniah and Zechariah. In the New Testament, we also see it used in Matthew and in 1 Thessalonians. That this change will take place in that final day when Jesus returns to earth and the dead are resurrected. At that time, a transformative change will be experienced by those who have placed their faith in Jesus. The results of this change, the dead raised imperishable. Mortality is now clothed with immortality. See, this change that's brought about by the resurrection is a change that can only be brought about by God. It should be clear in seeing here, especially as we looked last week, and then, and then here, at the, at these dichotomies, that, that they are so different. What, what was once perishable needs to be imperishable, mortal to immortality. Nothing that we could do could bring about that change, but it's a change that only God 
can bring. See, if you ever faced something in your life where you've realized, hey, I can't do this. I need someone else to do this for me. See, in our world today, we feel like we need to be self-sufficient. And there's so many tools out there that it can be easily to feel that, hey, I can handle and I could figure out just about anything. So I am a homeowner, and one of the joys of home ownership come with all the endless projects, right, of, of taking care of a house. But there's three keys to being a homeowner, someone who, by nature, for me, I'm not a very handy person, right? I have some basic tools, I live a short drive from a Home Depot, and I have YouTube, and that's a dangerous three combinations, right? I have some tools, I have a Home Depot or a Lowe's, and I have YouTube. Because it can seem to be that I could just figure out enough stuff that I could eventually work through and I could solve all these different problems in my house. But eventually, you all will come across, eventually you come across problems that you realize, hey, I can't YouTube my way out of this one. You know, for me, this happened years ago when we moved into our house and we decided that there was a wall in our house that we actually wanted to remove, to open it up and make a little more space. And above this wall is on the second floor, some bedrooms. And on top of that, obviously the the roof. And I realized, hey, I I could just take a sledgehammer if I wanted and, and break this thing down. But I have no idea what it's holding above it. And I have no idea the impact that I would have on the house. And I realized, hey, this, this is something that I cannot change myself. I need someone else to do it for me. See, when we look at the requirements that, that our bodies need for heaven, that we need immortality, that we need something imperishable, it should draw us to the fact that Jesus brings the change in our hearts that we need and we cannot do it ourselves. See, a self-help book isn't always bad, and it can give you some tools and help for this life, but you can't self-help your way into heaven. To have hope for the future, to have hope for the resurrection, we need something beyond ourselves, and that hope we have in Jesus, that he brings this transformative change that we need, that with him, something that is dead, Something that's mortal could be clothed with immortality. The perishable could be made imperishable. This transformative change is brought about by Jesus. The passage continues, verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul consistently helps us see this new life in Jesus as a fulfillment of Scripture. And that first phrase, death is swallowed up in victory, is taken from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. The passage says this, He, talking about God, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. It's looking forward to that day when death will be swallowed up by God. 
So death is swallowed up in victory. Then we have those rhetorical questions. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Those questions come from Hosea chapter 13, where where the prophet writes those two questions that Paul now says, hey, this is to be fulfilled when Jesus returns at the resurrection. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. See, the resurrection doesn't just deal with the physical problem, right, of of how can these physical bodies have immortality? How can these physical bodies live in heaven? But the resurrection deals with the spiritual problem as well. See, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Paul puts a lot more meat on these bones in other texts throughout the New Testament. And it's clear here from this writing that this is something that he's already taught this church, that he's just quickly reminding them of. But when you look at other passages in Romans or in Galatians where he expounds more and more on the law, we we understand what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying the law by itself is not able to stop us from sinning. And so because it cannot stop us from sinning, in fact, it just keeps spurring it on and it pronounces a sentence of judgment, of condemnation on us because we cannot, by our own help, by our own self, perfectly keep the law. The law, as good as it is, cannot give us life. The law cannot give us righteousness. Now, he says this here, and he's, he reminds them of the spiritual problem they have because of sin and the power of sin evident in the law. And then verse 57, he says, but, but, so often in Paul's writings, that three-letter word is one of the most significant ones because he talks about something that happened, but, and he's about to give us the great news, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the second result of the resurrection that we experience when we place our faith in Jesus is ultimate victory. Ultimate victory is ours when we place our faith in the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we have victory over death, the physical death that we will experience. That's what he's just focused on that we looked at last week. And in that first point, the resurrection body and the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. But Jesus gives us not only victory over physical death, Jesus gives us victory over sin itself. We have victory over sin itself and only the resurrection provides us with this. Only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ provides us with a victory over sin that we can experience. See, this ultimate victory is experienced when Jesus returns, right? We still struggle with sin now and in the present. Sin is still a part of who we are. And it's, it's a victory that we do have in the present tense. Notice it's not one day, but we have, he gives us this victory. It's, it's ours now. It's a victory won and given, but yet not fully realized. And so what that means is today, right now, we can celebrate the victory that we have over sin because of the forgiveness of sins that we can experience when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the day when in this new body, we will be freed from all sin itself 
and sin will have no power of over us anymore. That ultimate victory we still look forward to and God will glorify our bodies when we are present with him in eternity. And this ultimate victory, what we look forward to, a defeat of death, the defeat of sin, victory by Jesus is given to us. Don't miss it. Don't miss it when he says there, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is not earned. The victory is given to us. See, maybe you're, you're a huge fan of a certain sports team or you have friends, maybe an uncle or a husband or you know, a sister who is a huge fan of a sports team. And it can be easy if they cheer for that sports team all their life. And when they find that sports team finally wins a championship, you may hear them run around. They, they throw their hands up in the air. They shout and they'll say something like this. We won. We won the championships. We are the champions. And they'll sing the song. They'll rub it in everyone else's face who lost. Like we have won. We've won the championship. Now here's the thing. They didn't win anything, Right? They just sat at home and watched it on TV and cheered really loud. They didn't actually win anything. It was the players on the team who won. But they are experiencing that victory that someone else earned, but was then given and shared to them. In a whole much greater way, do we receive the victory that Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection from the cross? Just as you contribute nothing to your favorite sports team winning a championship, we contribute nothing to the resurrection, defeating sin and death. But because of Jesus, we participate in it. And we can rejoice and be thankful to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So since we have such an astounding victory over death, over sin, through Jesus what should our immediate response be? Well, Paul concludes this chapter with this singular verse, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The third result of the resurrection in our lives should be faithful living. Faithful living because of what Jesus has done for us. We have this great transformative change. We have ultimate victory in him and it should result in our lives today in faithful living for him. Notice these words that Paul closes this chapter on this encouragement to them in light of all this teaching that he's talked about on the resurrection of Jesus. He encourages them to be steadfast, to be persistent, one who continues to push. It's this idea of being slowed down. Things are pushing against them, but they will not stop. They will keep moving forward no matter what forces may come their way. They will not relent because they know who they serve. And no matter what comes their way, they will be steadfast in pursuing him. Steadfast, the second, the second word there to describe this faith is, is an immovable faith, that they would be immovable. 
from reading the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, it's clear to see that, that this was a church that was oftentimes, as, as one scholar put it, they were prone to fickleness. They could quickly just kind of toss one thing aside and go to here or, or say, well, no, let's just go here. Let, let's throw out that belief or let's set aside that teaching and just start to believe in that. And Paul pushes against that and says, you should be immovable, immovable in your faith. That people should not come in and be able to cause you to change your mind. That people should not come in with a worldly point of view and be able to talk you off of what you believe in Jesus Christ. That you would stand firm, be immovable, that no matter how those things may come against you, it will not knock you off your foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. They would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This image to me comes up of that abundant life that Jesus promises his disciples, the followers of him, abounding, overflowing in the work of the Lord with enthusiasm, with joy, abounding in doing what he has called us to do. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. See that he closes the chapter with that idea of, of all of this, all of this work that you would do in pursuing me is not in vain. And it harkens back to verse 14, where he talks about if Jesus has not been raised, he says, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And he bookends that at the end and saying, no, your faith is not in vain. And your labor for the Lord is not in vain either, but it is worth following after him. See, sometimes it could be easy for us to view Christian living. I think sometimes we think of following Jesus kind of like how so often we treat nutritional advice or going on a diet in our lives. Now, if, if you're like most people, and I'm, this is true, I've tried this myself a few times, right? If you're like, hey, I'm going to go on a diet. So you'll do something for one day, You'll eat healthy. Maybe you'll even exercise a little bit. You'll step on the scale the next morning. That number will still say the same or maybe even go up just a little bit. And you'll say, Psh, this isn't worth it. I'm done. I'm just going to go back to living my life, eating however I want. I don't need to get up early to exercise. Look, it doesn't have any results. I tried it for a day. See, but if you were to ask any dietitian, any nutritional specialist, <coughs> excuse me, how to lose weight, how to get in shape. They would say one day doesn't really matter, but it's the consistency. It's that length over time. It's doing it day in, day out, that faithfulness in cultivating those habits. See, the, these metaphors that Paul uses, these images, steadfast and movable, are a reminder to us that following Jesus in this life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's easy to have bursts of faithfulness to Jesus, to commit ourselves to him for maybe short windows of time, short seasons where, where we're faithful in reading our Bible and praying and ministering to the needs of others and loving the people around us as God has loved us. But Jesus just doesn't want us to do that in short bursts, to do it now and then to take a couple weeks off and then to do it again because we feel good one day, but then to live for ourselves for a few more weeks. No, he, he's saying here, because of the resurrection, we should be faithful in living out what God has called us to. Steadfast, immovable, always, not sometimes, not when we feel like it, always abounding in the work 
of the Lord. Because faithfulness to Jesus is always worth it. He's the risen Savior. And so following him is always worth it. No believer gets to the end of their life and wish they had lived more for themselves. But they always would desire greater faithfulness to him. So if you're facing temptations to to slow down tonight, don't. Be steadfast, be immovable. Or maybe you're one of those people who who just treats life like a sprint, but you have not gotten in this marathon, this long journey of following Jesus. Remember, believer, press in and press on for him. Following Jesus is worth it. We know the end. He is the risen Savior and we will be resurrected to be made like him. So be encouraged and be empowered by his spirit to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God, we do thank you that we serve a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, today. That we have such great hope for the future. We have such great transformative change that we have to look forward to. The victory over sin and death is ours because of what you have done for us in Jesus. God, we worship you tonight. May we see how the resurrection of Jesus should cause us to surrender each and every one of our parts of our lives to faithful, consistent living for you. Empower and embolden us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.